journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov, Shana and what a weekend it has been. I do not believe that there is any human being, Jewish or non-Jewish alike, that is reeling from the senseless, brutal murder of innocent people this weekend. And, you know, you can just kind of reel back and just ask, how does humanity come to this point in time where, where families, young families, little kids are brutally butchered and murdered in the name of freedom. Um, I guess the the evil, the illness, the ability to be so ruthless in one's need for power, um, just just it becomes so animal-like that I I, I fail for words. I fail for words. And uh, while you are joining me, firstly, well done for joining me. Um, one of the things that, that we do do. Um, particularly in times of crisis, even though we should not need a time of crisis to do that, is to bring more light to this world. While this world feels like it's been shrouded in a tremendous envelope of darkness, the way to combat darkness is to make light, to switch on a light. We know that a little match in a very dark room can illuminate the room. And so we fight this evil from far away by standing with our Jewish brethren in the land of Israel and we bring light by doing another mitzvah. I encourage each and every single one of you to take on something, a little more, something new, or something that you haven't been doing properly or that you can do better. Whether it is ladies lighting Shabbat candles, men take five minutes out of your time and put on tefillin every single day. Everyone take a few coins and put it into a charity box every single day, every moment of the day. Say a verse of Tehillim. Take on the name of a soldier or someone and pray for their return. They are fathers, they are brothers, they are sons, and they are now going out to try conquer this, 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 uh, I have no words, evil. This, indescribable evil that we are seeing, um, that we saw happen in the last 48 hours. Another way to fight this darkness is to learn Torah. And I'm here with you now for the next three quarters of an hour to learn Torah with you. And we are in the book of Shemot, um, in the book of, the, of Exodus. We are going to be starting the Pasha of Bo. And before we get into it, I want to share with you another piece of Torah. Um, and I think that it's screaming loud. It's certainly screaming loud in my ears. And it should be screaming loud in everybody else's ears. And that is yesterday for those, for, for those of us that were in shul and were not aware of the debacle and disaster and destruction that was happening in the land of Israel we had the merit of finishing up the five books of Moses, of hearing a tremendous chazak, chazak, benit chazak, that we should be strong and be strengthened and that we continue to be strong. And immediately straight away, as we do, we do not take off time, we do not take a break, we do not take a sabbatical, we don't take a, a December holiday. If we finish the five books of Moses and we have studied the entire cycle, we start it all over again. And yesterday, in shuls across the world, we started reading the first verses of the book of Genesis, going all the way back to the time of creation. 
And I want to bring, I want to bring out something important to each and every single one of you. Everybody knows the first verse of the Torah. Bereshit bara elokim et haaretz. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And we know this is how uh, the world started. And we go through the seven days of creation. I want to bring to your attention a very interesting Rashi. Rashi is a commentator on the Torah. Rashi um, looked at the Torah and basically he said to us, if, if you look, there are many questions that you can ask on each verse. And I'm going to ask it almost like a five-year-old. I'm going to ask the obvious questions and I'm going to answer them. Now, if you look at the, the verse, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. What is the question that Rashi brings? What does Rashi go and say? Rashi quotes a rabbi called Rabbi Yitzchak. And Rabbi Yitzchak goes and says, the Torah, which is the law book of the Jewish people, of Israel, should have started with the verse that we find in Exodus. That's chapter 12. Verse 2. What chapter, what, what verse is that? It is the mitzvah of proclaiming the new moon. This month shall be unto you the first of months. This was the first commandment to the Jewish people. So he asks a legitimate question. As Jewish people, why are we making the first, uh, verse of our book of law to do with creation. Creation had, in a sense, nothing directly to do with us. Yes, it was the beginning of humanity. It was only many, many generations later, 20 generations later, that we see the birth of Abraham and start of the Jewish people. Why take a book of law, which we subscribe to, and start with the creation of the world? And that is the question that Rabbi Yitzhak um, asks. And here is his answer. He says, because there is a verse in the book of Psalms. It's chapter 111, verse 6. The verse says, he declared to his people the strength of his works, meaning that God gave us an account of the work of creation in order that he might be, give, that he might give them the heritage of the nations. How does Rabbi Yitzchak explain this? I'm going to read it verbatim. For should the people of the world say to Israel, you are robbers because you took by force the lands of the seven nations of Canaan, Israel may be able to reply to them. All of the earth belongs to the Holy One, blessed be he. He created it and he gave it to whom he pleased. And when he willed it, he will give it to them. And when he willed, he took it away from them and he gave it to us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is exceedingly powerful. Today we're seeing a struggle of a brutal, animalistic-natured people who are coming in and massacring innocent human beings on the premise that this land is theirs, that the Jewish people have no right to. And today I say loud, over the airwaves, loud to each and every single person, God created heaven and earth so that we can turn around to our enemies and say, we did not rob your land. The whole earth belongs to God. We believe in a God. We believe in a greater power that created this entire world. Everything in this world belongs to our Kodesh Baruch Hu. 
He created it and he gave it to whom he pleased. He has given the land of Israel to the Jewish people and it is ours for eternity. You can try what may, do what you want. There are two things you are not ever going to destroy. The eternity of the Jewish people and the sanctity of the land of Israel that it belongs to the Jewish people. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Adel Kozilski, and we are going to be spending the next three quarters of an hour bringing light into the world. And the way we are going to do it is you are going to join me in learning Torah, God's wisdom, God's direction, God's moral compass, and really a, a, a source of direction for humanity as a whole. We are starting the Pasha of Bo, which is uh, chapter 10, starting in chapter 10 of the book of Shemot. And we are coming to the end, the demise of the Egyptian uh, bondage. And here again, we are looking at a lot of destruction. In fact, it's, it's quite uncanny that you know, we are being posted about the destruction that is happening now, right now in the Middle East. I, I was thinking while I was preparing for the show, can you imagine if we had Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all of these things and Egyptians were actually recording what was happening to them and their country and their people um, before the, the exodus from Egypt? We probably would have reeled as much as we are reeling today. And what we are seeing is the retribution of God against those who were unbelievably evil to the Jewish people. Unbelievable to people who belong to the human race. The amount of brutality um, and um, destruction that they brought and suffering that they brought upon the Jewish people, we see now the retribution of God through the ten plagues. What we also see is the stubbornness of of the uh, Egyptian pharaoh and his courtiers and the people to come to understand that in order to live in peace or in order to, to live, period, one needs to live a godly life. And so they have they have a uh, they're very much what we've seen today, where we see the cruel, evil Hamas, almost an incarnate of the pharaohs of the world, of the Hitlers of the world, of the Hamans of this world, whose thirst for power, for aggression, for inhumane activity has reared its absolute ugly head. And even though Moshe warns power again and again and again, and they see destruction in their midst. They continue to believe that it's their power, it's their place. And ultimately, the Jewish people leave Egypt with Egypt being in ruins and rubble, never ever to be a superpower again in the world. So please join me, chapter 10, verse 1. If you have any comments, any questions, anything that you want to say on your heart, this is the time to ask it. This is the time to comment. 34519 is our SMS line. 061 
time is our telegram number. Hashem El Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, Bo El Paro, go to Paro, Ke Ani Hechbadati et Liboy, I have now made his heart. The et Lev Abadab, and the hearts of his servants, I have hardened them. Naman Shiti or Tatai Ele Bekirbo, so that I will be able to perform these signs among you. Ulaman Tisaperbe Ozne Bincha Uben Bincha. And it is also that you should then tell this story to the ears of your son and in the ears of your grandchild and your children and grandchildren. Of how um, I made fools of them in Egypt. And, I, and how I performed signs amongst them. You know that I am Hashem. Now, we know that um, the eighth plague, which is now going to be the plague of locusts, okay, um, is coming after the plague of hail. And seemingly, it looked like when the plague of hail was finished, Paro went to say, God is just, and I and my people are guilty. Okay? Um, people thought that, uh, that, that, that he was truly repentant. Paroi. But the truth be said, he was being very, very foolish. Okay, he wasn't going and saying that. Okay, what he, he wasn't confessing any wrong. He had enough ambiguity in his words for it to be just the opposite of a confession of guilt. Because what Paro really meant was God is just, and so am I, and my people are guilty. So in his stubbornness, Paro was claiming to be just as righteous as God himself, and he, play, he placed all the blame on his people. But once the plague of hail dissipated, we're back to square one. Now, I just want to have a bit of a discussion on this whole idea of God saying to Moses, I will harden Paro's heart. It's like, it's pretty difficult to understand why God would then punish Paro for his stubbornness. Because if he makes Paro stubborn, how can you have the right to go punish somebody for his stubbornness? So the famous Rambam, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, who lived between the years of 1135 and 1204, and is known as the great codifier of the oral law, he, 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 he explains this. He basically says, that Paro had initially been punished for treating the Jewish people much worse than God had ordained in his decree. You remember, God told Abraham, your offspring will be foreigners in a land that is not theirs. And it was a form of exile. Paro's punishment was that he should have, that, that he should be made stubborn and be prevented for repenting because he went far beyond the letter of the law. Instead of just allowing the Jews to be strangers in a land that's not theirs, he treated them. And I'm going to use the example of that which is in our modern consciousness, the way that, 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 that Pharaoh, that Hitler treated the Jews in the time of the Holocaust. Okay? His sins, his brutality, his aggression, his destructiveness was so extraordinary 
okay? <coughs> he openly, so to speak, spitted and spited God, okay, that he, he deserved to die for his crimes. And truthfully, we've spoken about it before, God could have made the first plague so severe that Paro would have received, would have freed, sorry, the, the Israelites immediately. But what did God do? God is slow to anger, and God keeps on leaving doors open for repentance. So with each plague, he allowed each plague to continue until Paro would agree to release him. But Paro was so connected to his paradigm of evil that he couldn't allow himself to let go. So Paroi, every time the, the plague finished and he thought the destruction was over, he became stubborn. And we've got an adage in our holy books that say the, uh, the path on which a person wishes to tread, that is how God is going to walk him. If you consistently are pathing a tread of evil, negative, of angry, of all these things, then God will give you situations where you are going to where you're, you're going to be given opportunity to choose whether to perpetuate that negativity or not. And eventually, you become stubborn. Okay, Because when a person does wrong, God will warn him many times. This is what the Rambam says. When you do something wrong, you get a warning. You may lose things. You may start seeing greater calamities in your life. Children getting sick. Unfortunate death. Every mishap that comes is a warning urging the person to return and to change his way before more catastrophe occurs. Now, most of us as human beings, we take these calamities and we become very philosophical about them. We rationalize if somebody, God forbid, passes on that, you know, there are people that die and there are people that are born. If we see uh, it's, it's a calamity to do with finance, we'll go, well, yeah, well, some people make money and other people have to lose it. Nobody goes and sees that the troubles that are brought upon them are troubles in order for them to return to their true source. And the punishment of such a person who philosophizes and who goes and gives all these outside excuses is that he is made stubborn and his heart becomes more hardened and it becomes very difficult for him to repent and change his ways. And eventually, it gathers up so much that a person is fully punished then for all his past sins. So this, this is really how the Rambam explains what happened to Paroi. He had been warned five times, but had not even thought of himself as doing wrong and needing improvement. And so Hashem then went and said, until now you have made yourself stubborn, from now on, I will be the one to make you stop. That's the opinion of the Rambam. Other authorities, however, dispute the opinion of the Rambam. They say that there is never a case where a person, um, whereby a person can repent and not be accepted. The only exception was Paroi because his crimes were crimes against humanity, against an entire people. Okay, so even if Paroi tried to repent now, it was too late. It was tickers. But for the ordinary person, there is always a window of, of, of opportunity to repent. 
However, there are times, there are situations when it becomes very difficult to repent. For example, when a person has committed many serious sins, or when a sin has been purposely repeated many times, or when one wishes to repent but stubbornly refuses to, and, says our rabbis, most importantly, when one sins against his fellow man. In these cases, the rabbis tell us that a person's heart is often closed so that he doesn't even think of repenting or improving his ways. Paroi was intrinsically a very, very evil person. Even when he agreed to free the Israelites, it was not because he repented. It was simply because he feared the plagues. You know, when a master beats his slave, the slave will naturally submit. So even when a person repents under duress, we can say that the repentance is accepted. But if a person returns to his old ways after the duress is gone, it's a clear sign that the initial chuba, the initial repentance was meaningless. And that's why God hardened Paro's heart. He wanted the whole world to see what a sinner he was. And seeing his end, everyone did agree that God had acted justly. Therefore, even though God knew how wicked Paro was, he warned them again and again. And since Paro had ignored these warnings, no one could say that God had dealt with him um, unfairly. Remember, again, just to remind you, Paroi was a mass murderer. The sin of murdering one person, okay, is not atoned until the murderer himself is killed. So what do we have to say about Paroi? He had exceeded all limits, all limits, the amount of torture and killing that was under his watch, okay, was was enormous. And so as we move our way through the, the plagues and the destruction, it is a shifting of the paradigm of Egypt and bringing Egypt eventually to its feet to realize that in truth there is not, no one else but God. And it is incumbent upon us to subscribe to a moral compass. Because when we don't, when we allow our animalistic, sadistic natures to overcome us, we see the destruction like we have seen ourselves in the last 48 hours. So God is telling Moshe, I'm sending you to Paroi, but understand this guy's stubborn, and this is going to be another blow to bringing him down. Let's look at verse 3 of chapter 10. Moshe and Aaron come to Paro by Yomru and they say to him, So says the God of the Hebrews, How long are you going to refuse to submit to me, let my people go, so I may serve you, so they may serve me? Because if you refuse to let my people go, tomorrow I will bring a plague of locusts um, in your in your in your borders. The entire eye of the earth, 
will be covered. Velo yuchal lirot et ha'aretz, you will not be able to see the earth. Ve'achal et yeter ha'pleta ha'nisheret lachem mina barar. And it will eat all that was spared for you from the hail. Ve'achal et ha'et ha'tzomech lachem mina sadeh. It will eat all the trees that are blossoming for you in the fields. Umalu batecha. And they will fill your your um, houses. Ubate kol abadecha. And the houses of all your servants. Ubate kol mitzrayim. And the houses of all of Egypt. Asher lo ra'u abotecha. The avot abotecha. Bihiyom hiyot aladama adayom azeh. And nothing like this will ever have been seen by your fathers and your fathers' fathers from that day until this day. By Yifen v'yetemi in Paroi. Moshe then turned around and left Paroi. Let's look a little bit more into the verse to understand the subtleties of what's been said. The first thing that I want to zoom in is the words, the Kisa et ein ha'aretz, that the eye of the land shall be covered. Very strange uh, wording. What does it mean? It means that the eyes of all the Egyptian magicians would be covered and that they would cease to have any power. And even if they had been able to use their, net, their, their, their powers to stop one kind of locust, there were so many species of locusts involved in the plague that they were rendered absolutely helpless. Also, we see now that the plague of hail left certain produce. Whatever was left, the wheat, I think it was, and the barley and the trees were now going to be um, cleaned up by the locusts. Now, God had warned Paro that this would not be a normal locust attack. Because normally, locusts usually arrive, they arrive one by one, then they attack in a number, and even then, if you watch a, a swarm of locusts, they will land on one field at a time, they would devour it, then they would move on. In this case, the locusts attacked the entire land at once, covered all visible ground, and even though Egypt's a fairly large country, it would have been covered in its entirety. This is 101.9, Chai FM. Chai FM. 101.9 megahertz of life. Right. Another thing that made the locusts different from a standard swarm of locusts, okay, besides that it covered the entire area, normally it takes several days for even a huge swarm of locusts to completely cover a land as large as Egypt. Um, this time, the land was covered in one swoop. The locusts would be so close to each other, they were so close to each other that they blackened the sky. No one could tell the difference between night and day. And as we know with previous um, uh, plagues, they only destroyed Egyptian vegetation. They did not attack any Israelite fields, even if they were in close proximity to an Egyptian land. And after attacking the whole area, the locusts usually move from one land to another here. They just actually plonked themselves down. They didn't leave. They packed themselves into the Egyptian homes, and they started eating anything that there was in the Egyptians' homes. So by this, the Egyptians could realize that this was not 
a natural plan. Okay, um, so we will see a little bit, a bit, a little bit later. Maybe I can actually go find it now as well. That there were in fact seven types of species of locusts, which we are going to get into, um, and and you you will see that this was really a multifaceted, multi-pronged approach. One of the things, okay, that is interesting about this verse is that whenever Moses came to Pharaoh to present him with a divine warning, he would leave immediately without taking leave or saying goodbye. And so the Torah says he turned and he left Pharaoh's presence, which means that as soon as Moshe finished speaking. He just simply would turn his back on Paroi, walk out. He was careful not to back away um, in obscience, meaning you know the way that you don't turn your back um, when leaving a king. And this was a very symbolic gesture to show that as God's ambassador, Paroi was nothing and Moshe didn't care. Well, can you imagine sitting in, 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 the, in the palace of Paroi and you hear these words? And you've been devastated already with seven plagues. Egypt has basically been brought to their knees. Cracks are happening, and that is with those that are around Paroi. By Yomru Abde Paroi. So the, the servants of Paroi. This is verse 7. By Yomru Abde Paroi Elab. They say to Paroi, Ad lanu how long is this man going to be a pain for us, a menace for us? Just send the men and let them serve this God, that's the king, don't you realize that Egypt is being destroyed? Now, look at this, ladies and gentlemen, okay? You would think that they would say, just for goodness sake, let them go. But they themselves were just almost as, as evil as Paroi. And they started thinking that they could compromise with Pharaoh. They went and said, Moses went and said, let my people go so they may serve me. They're saying, let the men folk go. They were trying to make a compromise. They were still thinking that Moses was the most, was, was, was probably a great sorcerer, much greater than any of him. And they don't know what to do with him. Like, how long must they deliberate with him? And Paroi listened. My Yushab is Aaron and Paroi. They brought back Moshe and Aaron to Paroi. This is verse 8. By Yomer Alehim, and he says to them, do it Hashem mi bemi Go, you go serve the Lord your God, but exactly who is going to be going? Okay? What had happened is after he deliberated with his officials, Parai decided that the leaders and the elders were allowed to go. But he wanted to know exactly who amongst two elders and leaders will be going. And this caused Moshe to say a very, very, very famous saying, which we use today as well. Because remember, the exile and the redemption from Egypt is a prototype of the exile and the redemption of the Jewish people at the end of times. We are living at the end of times. And at the end of times, there's not just going to be a few people, a handful, somewhere along the line, that is going to be allowed to serve Hashem 
It is going to be each and every single one of us. Redemption is waiting for you, for me, for our children, for our families, for everybody to come on the line. And this is what Moshe says. It's very famous. With our young and with our old. Uh, sorry. We will go with the young and with the old. We will go with our sons and our daughters. With our sheep and our, our cattle. We will go. For us, it is a festival of God. So Moshe was saying practically, I'm planning to bring all the Jewish people along with all everything that they own to come celebrate the festival of Shavuot where they are going to receive the Torah and therefore everybody has to be present. And in truth, that, that, that is what happened. So there was no compromise, Mr. Pharaoh. There was nothing to say. But this verse says something much deeper. That at the end of times, in the last exile, which we are in, in the redemption, which we are going to be going through very soon, no Jew is going to be left behind. No Jew. We are going to experience the redemption of God, the young and our old, our sons and our daughters, with all that which we have, and we are all going to be serving Hashem on that mountain in Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim belongs to the Jewish people. And we are waiting for the building of the third Beit HaMikdash on that mountain. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Let's cover another two verses before our time is up. By Yomer Alehem, Paro says to them, Yehichen Hashem imachem, may God be with you. Kasher etchem if I allow you to leave with your children, this is not, behold, evil is going to confront you. This is not the way it's going to be. Rather, let just the men folk go. Go serve God because that's what you wanted. And Paro banishes them from outside of them. So basically, he's saying, I'm not going to let you go anyway. Do you know? that um, Ra, he uses the word Ra, that evil is awaiting you. Now, Ra was alluding to an astrological force known as Ra, which can be highly dangerous. So, Paro was saying, you know, I'm worried about you. You've got to be careful. You're going to be confronted by this astrological um, threat called Ra, and Ra will go before you in the desert, and that will be a sign that many of your people will die. By the way, Ra um, in Kabbalah is connected to uh, Mars, the red planet, which is also known as Ma'adim, which means the red maker from the word Edom. And it says that Asa derives strength from this planet, and therefore he calls himself Edom. And what Paro was seeing was a manifestation of Ra. And it being connected to Mars it means that there would be blood. So Paro saw in his astrological uh, sightings that the entire nation that would leave Egypt would die in the desert, with the exception of Yehud and Kaleb, and he said, you know, Ra will be confronting you when you go into the desert. How can you take an entire nation there merely to die? And so he negotiates that they should only take the men. 
The truth of the matter was there blood in the desert. There was. It was the blood of circumcision that they never, ever, ever saw about. When Moshe and Aaron did not budge, he did not compromise. And he gave a signal to his God, and they summarily ejected Paroi. And Paroi's intention was to just continue humiliating Moshe. We are going to continue this next week. In the meantime, please, I am encouraging each and every single one of you, Jew and non-Jew alike, bring light into this world by doing a random act of goodness and kindness. Do another mitzvah. Do something good for another fellow human being. Show that we can be truly godly, not what we have seen this weekend. And let us pray for peace. We stand for the people and, and, and all people in the land of Israel and to all God-fearing, loving human beings around the world. This is 101.9 High FM.